the platform. Step up and speak out. Station is the FM Stereo, my station, your station, the hottest radio in town. The name is Larry Kuiderai here on this Monday, 6th June. And uh, thank you very much to uh, uh, Honorable Superman Duanzira for that uh, exciting show on Enterprise Zimbabwe. Uh, just to tell you some of the frequencies you can listen to us on uh, 105.1 is Kama TV Wange, uh, Nyanga 98.2, Bulawayo 106.7, that is my hometown, and broadcasting out of Harare where the frequency is 106.4. If you want to listen to us over the internet, it's www www.zfmstereo.co.zw This special edition of the platform is brought to you in partnership with the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights and today we're discussing mining and human rights with a focus on, on the roles and responsibilities of key actors in the mining sector and um, what I want to tell you is the mining industry is involved the mining industry is involved in the extraction of uh, precious minerals and the uh, geographic uh, geographical uh, and other geolog- geological materials. The extractive materials are transformed into a mineralized form that serves an economic benefit to the, to the prospector or miner. Typical activities in the mining activities include metal production, metal uh, investing, and metal trading. Mining companies have been uh, uh, criticized for their complicity in the human rights abuses of people and place uh, indigenous populations at risk. Human rights, including civil, political, and economic Economic, social and cultural rights are also at stake. And joining me in the studio uh, from the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights is uh, Tinashe Chinofukuta. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me. Um, you are welcome, lady. Um, good evening, listeners. So for the context of someone sitting at home hearing about Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights, it sounds like it's self-explanatory, but can you tell me about it? Um, the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights is a not um, a not for profit uh, law based organization whose main objective is to foster a culture of human rights in Zimbabwe and to promote the um, observance of human rights um, across all levels of Zimbabwean um, society and so when uh, what human rights implications arise because we talk about mining today what human rights implications arise when mining companies are operating within an area um within the context of zimbabwe um the main human rights issues which arise um, mainly relate to um arbitrary evictions and displacements of um, the indigenous communities where the mining um activities will be taking place um there will also be issues of pollution um due to the uh, mining um, activities um and also damage to property which will be occasioned as a result of the mining activities those are the main implications oh seven three one one six eight zero four five to get get in touch with me in the studio oh seven three one one six eight zero four five now uh it, when you look at these our uh, local communities um right when it, sorry when you talk about the mining uh, companies when they go into the local communities, do they have any responsibilities that they have to undertake when engaging in mining? Or can I turn on with us or not? 
Um, yes, indeed, they have, they have, they have um, a number of responsibilities. Um, the most uh, crucial responsibility being that they are enjoined by the Constitution in Chapter 4 of the Constitution to observe and to give effect to the rights which are um, contained in the Bill of Rights. So the Constitution itself places an, an obligation on the mining companies to protect and to promote the human rights uh, which are contained in the Bill of Rights. So, for example, if a mining um, company um, intends to carry out activities in a particular uh, locality and they have to uh, remove people from that area, they have to meet the constitutional standard um, against um, arbitrary eviction, for example, which is in uh, Section 74 of the Constitution. They have a duty not to arbitrarily evict um, those indigenous um, uh, people. They also have a duty to ensure that the indigenous people's right uh, to a safe and healthy environment as, as provided for in Section 73 of the Constitution is, uh, uh, is protected. So yes, indeed, they have um, rights and obligations. They also have rights um, to comply, for example, with uh, conditions that are contained in their environmental impact um, assessment reports and certificates. So indeed, they have rights. Um, um, they have obligations, rather, um, arising from the Constitution, arising from the Environmental Management Act, and uh, also arising from uh, the Mines and Minerals Act, which also sets um, certain conditions and parameters uh, that the mining companies have to comply and operate within. I see you keep making reference to the Bill of Rights. Uh, looking at these indigenous communities, uh, in what areas, um, as far as mining operations, do they have rights themselves, these indigenous communities? Um, mainly, I have uh, already mentioned some of the areas. Um, the right against arbitrary eviction mm-hmm. um, in Section 74 of the Constitution, which provides that no person may be evicted or removed from their um, home or dwelling place without um, an order of court made after uh, assessing all the relevant circumstances, which circumstances um, the Supreme Court it says um, um, includes the possibility of alternative um, uh, shelter as well as compensation. Um, the right to a safe and healthy um, environment, um, which is in Section 73 of the Constitution, um, those indigenous communities have a right not to be uh, subjected to harmful toxins, for example. Um, they have a, a, a right not to be subjected to land degradation. They have a right for the environment to be uh, protected and preserved for future uh, generations in terms of Section 73 of the Constitution. I know you touched a bit on that because I want to talk about the legal procedures. Remember, this program is brought to you in partnership with the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights. We're together until five past the hour of eight o'clock. After which there'll be an intermission, and then Chela's going to come in at uh, half past the hour of eight o'clock with our story. Now, what I want to ask is, then, therefore, you've made reference to things like environmental impact assessments and so forth in passing. But what is the correct legal procedures that mining companies should follow? when um, commencing mining operations uh, and not violating and therefore not violating uh, the concerns you mentioned? Um, they, they, they should um, operate within the parameters of the Mines and Minerals Act 
um, obtain prospecting licenses. So give us examples of when you say the confines of the of the um, the, the the act that you mentioned. Yes. Like um, so, what are some of the things that are in there? Um, that um, prospective uh, miner should obtain a prospecting license mm -hmm. before they start pegging or even doing anything um, in terms of the uh, um, uh, Mines and Minerals Act. They should um, get those licenses from the uh, Minister of Mines, which um, authorizes them to engage in that particular mining activities. Um, they should also engage, um, uh, for example, um, um, there is regulation for blasting. They should get a blasting license, uh, provide a blasting timetable um, to the authorities. So there are a wide range of, 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 of license and, and compliance issues that they must uh, comply with. I cannot just wake up um, tomorrow and then um, I would say I'm starting to, to mine at a particular place without having obtained those um, those licenses. That's the first issue. Then the second issue, um, in terms of the Environmental Management Act, um, no mining activity can commence without a, an Environmental Impact Assessment Certificate having been issued in respect to that mining operation. So that would mean that they would first need to be a, an environmental uh, impact assessment, which then assesses the uh, environmental, the social and the economic um, uh, impacts of the proposed mining activities. And only after issuance of that um, certificate um, can a miner start to, to validly and legally uh, carry out their activities. And so, uh, I know there's some point that you made reference to the fact that, um, you know, the, uh, say safe housing or safe alternative, alternative space. How does that work for in a safe? If, if 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 say they want to do mining where I stay, how does that work from a legal perspective? Um, if, if they want to do mining um, um, in a place where you stay. Um, it depends whether your, your stay um, at your residence will be affected by the, by the mining activities. Um, if there cannot be um, any mitigatory measures which can be taken uh, for uh, coexistence between the, the indigenous communities and the, and the um, miners, then that would mean that um, those people would have to be relocated. So the question is, so are you saying that the mining company ends up having priority? Um, the, con the constitution being the supreme law of the land, uh, the mining company will first have to comply with the constitutional standard in section 74, which guards against arbitrary eviction. The mining company can't just come and then say, um, we are removing you because we want to mine, we have, we have a license. Um, if they then want to remove those people, then they have to apply uh, to court for in order to evict these people. That's one scenario. The other scenario uh, perhaps will be when um, uh, um, they then have to relocate those people uh, because the, the mining activities would, would, would of course be, would make um, 
the indigenous communities uh, uh, stay in that particular uh, locality and untenable. Um, in terms of section uh, 317 of the Mines and uh, Minerals Act, the any affected uh, uh, um, resident or member of the indigenous community can then apply for compensation to the president through the Ministry of Mines. Um, and they would then have to set a value uh, of their property which they then want to be compensated. So, so that is the remedy which is located within the um, Mines and Minerals Act. So ultimately, the person will have to move. There's no situation where they say, I don't like the compensation, first of all, or the alternative place that you want me to go and stay in, I don't like it because it's not suitable. So, and is it a group kind of situation? So like, say, if we're in a village and 10 people say yes and three people say no, what happens then? Yes, um, it, it, it would depend with the effect. Uh, normally, that's why I was saying it's important that um, a miner obtains an environmental impact assessment um, um, certificate first. Because in that environmental impact uh, assessment report, those implications will then be borne out. And normally, discussions take place between the mining company and the indigenous communities. The environmental impact assessment um, uh, uh, report will project the number of households um, or people who are going to be affected and ultimately um, relocated. Um, it will also reflect if any agreement has been, has been made. And if those issues are canvassed in the, in the EIA report, then by the time the mining operations um, commence, then um, those people who are going to be relocated would have been relocated. Those who are going to be compensated, the modalities would already have been in place. So it's, 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 a, it's a platform for then both parties to, to engage. So just to be clear, the, the, this uh, part I'm, I'm talking about, that is the relocation and so forth, that is contained within the process of the environmental impact ass uh, assessment. Is that what you're saying? Yes, its uh, projections are contained in that EIA report. So because the, the EIA report, it forecasts the uh, likely environmental, social and economic implications of any uh, proposed, in this case, proposed mining activity. So if, if, if it's, it turns out that the people say, no, we don't want to move what takes precedence? Because if I've got a mining license, what takes precedence? Is it the people that stay there or is it the in my license that I've gotten from the ministry? Um, the, people can, the people can stay there because obviously they have their rights which are protected in the, in the constitution, which is the supreme law of the land. And um, normally the, the Mines and Minerals Act um, as an inbuilt pr procedure for, for, for avoiding those kind of situations. Um, for example, uh, in Section 31, it sets out um, a whole range of situation in which a mining activity cannot take place. For example, mining uh, activities cannot take place within um, a certain distance from um, warm states. It cannot take place, um, one cannot peg 
um, uh, their beacons um, for for mining uh, within um, people's homesteads and people's fields. So those those mechanisms are, are, are then meant to to ensure that the the indigenous communities' rights are protected, as well as the the world of mining rights um, interests are protected. So say let's get, get this scenario. Um, I stay in an area X, and um, while my property is not an area X, the land next to my property is what my ancestors for the past 500 years, uh, where they've gone to worship and so forth. And that has been pegged, and or that has been given a, as a claim. The, I'm just giving you a, a random scenario here. How would that environmental impact assessment work? Because that is not necessarily an economic or a, or a you know or a physical housing issue but traditional um, you know uh, mythic you know worship worship space yeah. um, um, how would that how would that get resolved is that a discussion and what happens if the community says well my ancestors have been here and they were from here for the past 500 years and you're asking me to move 200 kilometers away because that's more suitable um that 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 is also taken into account during the 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 impact assessment because um that is a social um that is a social issue and uh, uh obviously the the the, co- the indigenous community can then lodge their objections um during the discussions and um, I, I remember we, we, we in the past um, as the Telechara we we handled a similar matter in in Domboshawa, and we ended up getting an, an, an interdict against some miners who who, who who were carrying out activities um, in a in a in a religious um, a, a shrine, religious and cultural a shrine. So there are protections for such a situation. Yes, indeed. 0731-168-045. Do get in touch with me in the studio. And also, this program is brought to you with, by the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights. And in the studio, I've got Tinashe uh, Chinofukutwa, who is from the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights. Now, you, I know we've mentioned organizations as the EMA and so forth, but in, an, in a more structured way, who's responsible for making sure that... Uh, uh, these mining companies uh, abide by legal uh, conditions uh, uh, that we're talking about. Um, firstly, the the mining companies themselves, um, because they have a duty to operate lawfully and within the confines of the law. Um, then also um, the uh, Minister of Mines uh, through the Provincial uh, uh, Mines Director, um, uh, the Blasting Inspector. Um, those um, functionaries um, have a duty to ensure that the, the mining companies operate within the confines of the law, operate safely um, and in a manner which does not harm um, the environment or, or other citizens. Uh, the Environmental Management Agency as well also plays a critical role in ensuring that the, com- the conditions of the environmental impact assessment are being complied with and that the mining activities are being carried out uh, in a manner which is not harmful to the environment or to to the to other citizens or to the indigenous communities and uh, if that is the case they then have a duty in terms of the law to take corrective um, action 
Uh, so, given that sort of scenario, um, I know you've mentioned this blast, um, whatever those other sort of people. Can communities approach those people if there's if there are any issues that arise and maybe the, the, the mining companies are not behaving? Yes, indeed. Um, they can uh, approach the, the, the Minister of Mines um, and lay out their, their complaints. Um, it will depend um, what complaint um, is, it, is it that blasting is causing um, too much noise pollution uh, is it causing earth tremors um, they can surely uh, forward their complaints to the to the relevant authorities and if that fails what other remedies are they um, they will then have to approach the court for example um, an interdict um, uh, for example, if if it's blasting for an interdict, uh, maybe to stop the blast or for an interdict to force the mining company to do certain acts, for example, to, 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 to adopt blast suppression measures or to use blast, uh, silent blasting technology in order to minimize the, the effects of the, of the mining activities. So... Um, looking at that, so does that mean, for example, if we sat down and we had an environmental impact assessment and we agreed on it, but when the implementation is taking place, it's a lot worse than the projection was, can that be amended? Um, so say, for example, we didn't expect that much noise to be there. We agreed, we signed, everybody like, yeah, okay, cool, go ahead, work. But it turns out that it's noisier than we expected it to be. Or is it just set in stone that environmental impact assessment said, go ahead and blast as much as you like? Can we go back and say, no, can we make changes to, to what was agreed? Um, of course, the, 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 the affected um, uh, communities can approach um, uh, the environmental management agency and lay out their, their complaints. Then um, EMA can then um, set conditions or, or advise the mining company to, to either um, stop um, the activity or adopt other measures which can minimize the effects of the, of the mining activities because um, it has a whole range of powers in terms of the Environmental Management Act. Um, it can issue what are known as environmental protection orders in which it can um, um, uh, instruct or direct a particular entity to stop doing a particular conduct or particular acts which are harmful to the environment. So could this result in another impact assessment or would it have to be simply saying, okay, wait, let's, let's just uh, fix this part of the impact assessment? It, it can be a, a, a partial, um, as we are saying, partial um, um, a, a amendment or... Or, or additional conditions, as it were, for to the mine to the, to the miner. So quickly, uh, can you give us some uh, examples of some of the the, the cases you've ta you've taken up? I know you just talked about Dumboshava. Are there any other ones that you'd like to highlight? Um, we have also dealt with um, Inuzumba, um, where a miner had uh, pegged this claim um, covering the war the war village. Uh, which include, uh, which um, included uh, a considerable number of of, of homesteads, and uh, through our our intervention, the 
the, the, the licenses which had been issued to, to the miner were eventually um, withdrawn. Um, we have also um, dealt um, with Acadia, residents in Acadia, who were being affected um, by blasting, um, by um, an adjacent miner, and we, we intervened and engaged with the, with, with, with the miner who then um, indicated that they were going to take uh, remedial action and to uh, publish a blasting timetable as well as to um, adopt um, silent blasting technology to, to minimize the effects of the blast. Um, we have also dealt with um, residents in Kadoma um, whose, whose um, um, properties were being damaged as a result of uh, uh, mining um, activities by, by a miner. So uh, yes, th those are some of, the, some of our interventions. Do they necessarily end up in court? Or can you, do you sometimes talk to these people directly without needing to get a, a court order? Um, sometimes, um, if not most of the times, um, they, they end up in court. Um, um, but uh, sometimes where engagements um, can lead to a positive outcome, then there will, there will, there will not be any need to, to go to court. So sometimes, yes, um, uh, yeah, they will end up in court um, as a last resort. And uh, the, at the time that you come in, is how early is it? Can people try their their own, um, you know, approaching these uh, mining companies, or would you advise them right from the start to get in touch with ZLHR? Um, they, they can they can um, get in touch with uh, with with, uh, with with us um, uh, right away. Um, given that it's a it's a minefield, and, and no pun intended. <laughs> yes, no pun intended. Obviously. Um, or was it intended? <laughs> carry on. Yeah, given that it's a it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a minefield and would um, um, require legal expertise in order to 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 protect their rights. So the the earlier they arrest the situation, the better. And. Uh, this is anyone can approach if they're feeling that they have they have issues. Yes, indeed, Any, uh, anyone can can approach us. But if I say I don't have money, uh, I'll wait until I get some money. Um, as, as I indicated earlier, we are a not-for-profit, so so our services are, are for free. And uh, what are the contact details for the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights? Um, for our national offices, I will give you our hotline numbers. For the national office, it's um oh seven seven two. 257-247 then for Matebelland and Midlands um, our 24 hour hotline um, um, mobile number is 0773-855-635 then for Manikaland and Mashingo um, our 24 hour um, uh, hotline mobile number is um, 0773-855-718 so just for the sake of, I'm just going to ask you to do the, the national number again. 0772-257-247. So anywhere across the country yes, indeed. Can, can get in touch can with that. Can get in touch with us through, um, uh, through that 24-hour uh, hotline number.
Well, I'm hoping you've uh, understood your rights at home uh, this, on this edition of the platform brought to you in partnership with the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights. I've had Tinashe Shino-Fukutwa in the studio. I really uh, think that a lot of people should just uh, be, uh, you know, concerned about the rights when it comes to issues of this matter. Your human rights are protected by the Constitution. Uh, your economic rights, your civil rights, your uh, uh, political rights, your social, as well as cultural rights. Like, uh, if you are also just as a space that you worship, there have been uh, there's precedents in the courts where the case has been won, as uh, the Zimbabwe lawyers for human rights have just explained to us. So there are different places you are allowed to enjoy the liberties of this country, uh, as predicted by, protected by the, uh, the constitution. So again, thank you very much to the Zimbabwe lawyers for human rights. Otherwise, take care of yourself and the people that you love. My name is Larry Quiridai, and. Uh, Please mask up, stay safe, and also uh, stay warm. Please do stay warm. It's really cold out there. And otherwise, uh, stay uh, listening to ZFM Stereo. Uh, t- uh, as, and as I say, from where I come from, my name is Larry Quirirai. I see you. Take care of yourself.